Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast. An exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back. (laughs) And we are on episode number... 36. 36. 36. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us. We had last uh, last episode. We had started chapter six, mm-hmm. and we only made it two verses in. But that's okay. It's not. It's not a race, guys. It's, uh, it's a we were laying the foundations for Dhyana Yoga, which is a very important thing to understand. Yes, yes. Um, Dhyana Yoga. Dhyana means meditation slash concentration. It's like focusing in the meditative aspect, and it's one of the eight fold yoga systems, right? Before we mm-hmm. talked about uh, the breathing practices that you could perform, that was also one of the eightfold yoga systems. Mm-hmm. And all of these are kind of help you in the process of um, controlling the mind and the senses, right? Because right. if we can control our mind and our senses, then we're not always thinking about how many cinnamon rolls I'm going to eat mm-hmm. or how, how much cinnamon rolls stick. What I in love, the world? I love cinnamon rolls. She loves cinnamon rolls. Oh, she used to make distracted. them all the time. It's actually not the first time we've referenced cinnamon rolls in this podcast. And because whenever we think about material desires, I always mention the cinnamon <laughs> roll obsession. So basically also <clears throat> how, um, yeah, Dhyana Yoga you're going to get there eventually. You may get there. It might, it'll give you liberation, but it's not a direct key to Krishna consciousness, to yes. devotion, to love of right. God, to love of our source. But still, we're going to talk about it, discuss right, it, see right. what it means and how we, how someone might benefit from it, right? At the end of the day, karma yoga or action in Krishna consciousness is like the ultimate path towards Krishna, which is what we're looking for, right? Right. Yeah. Because especially because these processes of dhyana yoga or at least med- meditative um Practices. Practices, thank you. Um, are very difficult to do right. in this age of Kali. Right, because kind of back then, back in the day, you know, people used to maybe renounce everything, go to <clears throat> a secluded place, a spiritual holy place, and just meditate, try to clear their thoughts. And that's very difficult in this day and age, as mm. we broke down last episode, the age of Kali, the fourth and final yuga or age. Right. So that's why they're kind of saying, we're going to still talk about them. They're they're valid. They're, they're going to maybe eventually lead you to love of God. But bhakti yoga is the most direct. You can, yes. And one last thing also in bhakti yoga, all of the other yoga systems are encapsulated within bhakti yoga because, you know, dhyana means meditation. So, okay, in bhakti yoga, we're trying to develop devotion and love of Krishna. And we're in a state of meditation because we're constantly meditating on Krishna. So already within bhakti yoga, you have dhyana yoga. You have all the other yoga systems. Shout out to bhakti yoga. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get that reference if you watch the last episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty giggly one. Uh, Oh, it's a great one. Good luck. I didn't stop crying for a while. Out of laughter. Yeah, so basically in this chapter, we're talking about not being attached to the fruits of our work, meaning the cinnamon rolls or the money we make or these, you know, not um, getting caught up in that, not accumulating wealth. Like all of these things are just not the path to life. And it says a person Mm -hmm. acting in Krishna consciousness works for the satisfaction of the whole without self-interest. So, right. So like Mm -hmm. the idea that we naturally want to serve God, that we naturally want to be connected to this community. Right. And one more important thing is that one who has no information of God, of the Supreme, has to be engaged somehow. And then we're going to just be engaged in self-satisfaction because no one can stand on the platform of inactivity. So we're constantly going to be doing things. Stopping the mind, the Bhagavad Gita says, is like harder than stopping the wind. It's going to naturally be rolling. We're going to have desires, but we're just trying to fine-tune them and dovetail them towards something higher than. So if you don't have any knowledge of Krishna, of God, of our source... 
You're still going to be floundering around this material world, trying to maybe like running in circles, you know? Yeah, trying to Flounder. find satisfaction somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Good word. Where it doesn't exist. Exactly. All so right. Invocation, ladies. Yes. We're ready for the episode now. <laughs> oh, what to, I don't know. I, just, I started the sentence. I didn't know where I was going to go. And then we get I, the laughing we attack. Are, it's a dangerous thing. We are ready for the episode. No. No. We, we got this. Invocation, okay. no. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Translation. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. All right, chapter six, text number three. For one who is a neophyte... In the eightfold yoga system, work is said to be the means. And for one who is already elevated in yoga, cessation of all material activities is said to be the means. Mm. So let's define a few things. What yes. does neophyte mean? No, it's like when you're new at something, yeah. you're a beginner. A noob. Right. Noob. When you're a newbie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Right. And so basically, right, when you're new... Uh, the work is basically kind of the means. You're, it's all of it. Work meaning karma. Right. Like actions. Right. And then when you're already elevated, cessation or stopping all, ma- all uh, engagement in material activities, that's said to be the means or the way to go about. Okay. So how do, can you translate that for like a third grader, this verse then? So I think the purport kind of explains it nicely because they're going to, we're about to in this purport break down. Okay. What, what do they mean by eightfold uh, okay. system of yoga? So basically, right. The process of union or of linking oneself with the Supreme is called yoga. And it's compared to a ladder for attaining the topmost spiritual realization. So basically, Basically, the ladder begins from lowest material condition of the living entity, which is us, and rises up to the perfect self-realization in pure spiritual life. Okay. So we're all visualizing this ladder. Yes. Gotcha. You okay. got us. We're following. Okay. Okay. <laughs> According to various elevations, different parts of the ladder are basically known by different names. But all in all, the ladder, the complete ladder is called yoga and it's divided into three main parts. Okay. So... Jnana yoga. We've mm. talked about this ages ago. What does knowledge. jnana mean? Knowledge. knowledge. Knowledge, right. So the yoga where we're, an, the analytical study, we're analyzing the knowledge. Well, Sankhya is more analytical, but jnana is right. We're trying to acquire knowledge. Knowledge, mm-hmm. knowledge, knowledge. Okay, next, dhyana yoga. Which meditation. is this one. This one, yep. what we're talking about, meditation. And the third part that is divided into this ladder of the overall yoga systems is bhakti yoga. And ladies, what's bhakti yoga? Love of Krishna. Love of Krishna. Love of God. (laughs) And the beginning of the ladder is called... I want to hear Shama Sangeeta try to say what this, what's called. Yoga Ruruksha. I'm sorry, why yoga, was there an accent? Yoga Ruruksha. It's a, it's a, it's a Russian word. No, I'm joking. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Don't take anything what she said seriously. So the beginning I feel of like that. actually our producer could say that word okay, properly. Yeah, Show me the word. It is oh Yoga Ruruksha. Mm. Yoga Ruruksha. 
That's what there I said. There we go. That's, yeah. what, that's <laughs> exactly, exactly what you said. It, Thank it you, definitely Jen. sounded like Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, a friend of ours uh, is Russian, and he was saying that when he reads the Bhagavad Gita in Russian, a lot of the words in Sanskrit are very similar to the Russian language. Interesting. Mm. How cool is that? Very and it's interesting. Like that also in fact. Spanish, you know, which makes me think Sanskrit is a lot, the origin of a lot of different it is. languages. It is the it world's is oldest language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, once upon a time, geography-wise, the, the whole world was connected more, and then we spread out and this kind of it makes you think how this could have really been the origin of a lot of different it was it, i think it's been sort yeah. of proven the sanskrit I mean, yeah yeah it's like the oldest and then but yeah anyways yeah. that's Sorry, just a continue, fun fact Shumley. yes continue that's right the, the philosophy ladder. where all of this comes from is the oldest in time that's a very cool thing to think of so if you're <laughs> yeah. listening to this podcast you're tapping into the most ancient philosophy out there so basically concerning the eightfold yoga system um Attempts in the beginning to enter into meditation. Okay, we follow different regulative principles of life, practice different sitting postures, which are more or less kind of like the bodily exercises, the asanas, what you might think of nowadays when you go to a yoga class, right? And those are considered, still they're considered fruit of material activities because doing asanas and poses isn't going to necessarily give you devotion and love mm. of Krishna, love of our source. They can be a good process to like quiet the mind, to do different things like mm -hmm. that'll open the door, right? To get your foot through the door of starting to develop. To get your body and mind ready. <laughs> right. Yeah. For the higher, as we say in our little intro, all of the poses, all the asanas, they're it's to prepare just, you to digest the philosophy behind yes. it all. Right. So all of these activities lead to achieving the perfect mental equilibrium to control the senses. <clears throat> and once this is accomplished in the practice of meditation or all of this chapter, jnana yoga, then we can seize all disturbing mental activities. So, right, the goal is to seize all disturbing mental activities to allow space. And once we have that space, we can connect to Krishna. But it doesn't mean necessarily that we will. You might just stay in that peaceful mindset floating around and not take the next step. It just kind of paves a nice ground for, you know, connecting to Krishna. So I have a question. Yes. I, I'm still a little bit confused about text three okay. itself, right? So it says for one who's a neophyte, someone who's newer in this process of yoga, yeah. work is said to be the means. I'm trying to figure out what that means. Work is, okay, let me work go back to Work is said to be the means. And for one who's already elevated in the system. Cessation of all material activities is said to be the means. So that, that part makes sense to me, yeah. right? Because like if you are already <clears throat> in the higher ladder, like your bhakti yoga, right? So you're you're not longer um, participating as much in like material activities. Your whole <clears throat> life is rolls around like serving Krishna and like letting how go that's... Of desires. Letting go of desires. Like yep. every, all of that you've already achieved. So that makes sense. All material activities, they're ceased, right? So like all the things that we... We're kind of more yogis at that stage, right? right? And so at the beginning, I'm just not sure work is said to be the means. Work means karma. So karma is said to be the means. I'm not sure. I think it's like someone who's new is like, they they still think from a material perspective mm. in right. terms of like, you still have to do work to ah. get results. Right. And then That's when someone's more spiritually evolved in this process, they know that 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 cessation or like letting go of these material activities. Right. And if in the latter, we break into the three parts that they said, jnana yoga, dhyana yoga, and bhakti. So it's kind of elevating upwards with bhakti being the highest, dhyana right behind. The beginning one, jnana yoga, jnana is knowledge. So we're like, work is the means. So we still are a bit in that material mindset. We're trying to work. Learning. We're trying to learn. Jnana is knowledge. So like, it's important to get knowledge, but that's not our end goal. Our end goal is devotion, love of Krishna. So we're yeah. still trying to- But we to still need the knowledge to get to devotion. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Of course. 100%. 
It's not just blind faith. Right. There's there's one part of the purport that I love where it says a Krishna conscious mm-hmm. person is situated from the beginning on the platform of meditation because he always thinks of Krishna. So shout out to Dhyana Yoga. Shout out to Dhyana Yoga. <laughs> because in Bhakti Yoga, you're already there. You don't have to try to do a separate. You can if you want to, but it's not like you have to go through all these technical breathing processes and meditation to try to calm the mind. You're already in a state of meditation or full absorption Samadhi because you're thinking of Krishna and everything you do is for Krishna. Yeah, which I think it's easier if you think practically speaking. Like for for us, the way we do meditation is with beats and we're saying the names of Krishna, right? Mm-hmm. We're saying Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna, Krishna Hare, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Hare Hare. And so with that, our whole idea is to listen to our words that we're saying and say them right so like the the practice is already taken into consideration that it's really hard for the mind to be blank Mm -hmm. and instead it's putting krishna in there so it's like it's it's the best process because it's easier to accomplish than just trying to not think about anything. Yeah. Right. And the last line after what Shama you read is very cool because it says being constantly engaged in the service of Krishna, one is considered to have ceased all material activities, which makes me think you can still be doing like, let's say yesterday you weren't in contact with all this philosophy and you're going about your day, doing your work, taking care of your family, la la la. The next day you're in touch with all this philosophy and doing the same activities, but something shifted and you're no longer you've stopped all material activities because it's an internal state. So mm-hmm. one person might be doing the exact same thing as another, but one is totally on the bodily platform and and conditioned and the other person might be a liberated soul. So you know what's interesting? It's, I think it's kind of cool to like spiritualize all of your material activities, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I and as devotees, it's 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 kind of an interesting concept because it makes it more relatable I, at least to me like for example like if I'm in the car and I'm listening to the radio or something and I hear a love song like I can think of Krishna right mm-hmm. it's all about like turning that and spiritualizing it right or if I'm eating something I offer it to Krishna first or if I'm like I'm even doing karaoke with my friends my go-to karaoke song I don't know if you guys know what it is <laughs> what is it it's 50 cent 21 questions <laughs> but even like just like asking those questions and like I know it sounds absurd but like you can take anything and spiritualize yeah. it and make it about yes. Krishna. And yeah, and I think even though like, what you guys are saying, it's really practical and super <laughs> useful to us right now. And I think also with that with that verse, uh, that part that you were reading, I, it says being constantly engaged in Krishna consciousness, one <clears throat> has ceased all material activities. I think that's also like a perf- like a perfection stage, like uh, not perfection, a but goal. just the goal, right? Yeah. Because like I'm thinking about people who live in holy places in right. India, whose whole life is Krishna, it's right? Li- they've like, literally seized. They're literally constantly engaged in service. Like, right. Everything they're doing, they wake up, they shower, they go to the temple, they're doing this, they're doing that. That's kind of like the ultimate goal. And in the in the meantime, we can try to bring Krishna in our minds everywhere we go and in everything mm-hmm. we do, like you guys were both saying. But the ultimate goal is like really just maybe retire, peacefully engage in serving Krishna and be happy in that mm-hmm. way, right? Yep. And you know what I want to say? Because uh, Priya, as you spoke, it made me think of this, that that's not everyone's situation that they can totally dedicate everything to pure devotional service of Krishna. So it makes me think that Krishna thought of everyone's situation and gave such a beautiful sliding scale that if you can't do that, if you can't dedicate everything, do this. If you can't do that, do this. And the whole point of chapter five of karma yoga was if you're, if you're having to act in this material world, also having a job, whatever, you can dedicate that through changing your internals to still being 
uh, how do I say, in devotional service of Krishna. So it made me think that we have such a loving God that spoke gives this options. so long yeah. ago and gave you all the steps. options, yeah. all the steps that even if you can't do, as Priya said, the highest goal, okay, and where you're not going to be able to renounce everything and go to a holy place and just dedicate it, there try are a little still, bit of this or try a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you can do. Skill, whatever yeah. you can do. Krishna steps. caters few to everyone. Steps, yeah. A few steps you take towards Krishna, he takes a bunch towards you. Yeah. So I think it's like 10,000 or something. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. Text four, Shamasangita. Yes. A person is said to be elevated in yoga when, having renounced all material desires, he neither acts for sense gratification nor engages in fruitive activities. Hmm. Okay. So we've, we've talked about this a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's repeating the same idea that, you know, being in this state of practicing bhakti yoga or dhyana right. yoga, that you have to renounce material desires, right? Yeah. Like we don't want to accumulate wealth mm. or accumulate this or that or just have all these material things, but rather... Um, Right. Yeah. There's a line in the purport that I love. Like a a Christian conscious person can do everything for the satisfaction of Krishna and Mm. therefore be perfectly detached from sense gratification. It's Mm. like that notion of like spiritualizing activities. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, the first line of the purport makes me think of something I said back in last episode. Uh, So if you haven't heard it, listen to the last episode. But when Lord Chaitanya said, I don't want this nor that, nor all the wealth, nor all the beautiful women, nor all the followers. I just want to be engaged in your devotional service and your mercy life after life after life. So it makes me think, Lord Chaitanya can only say that if he's truly connected to something even greater, yeah. some joy even greater. and the A first higher taste. A higher taste. And the first line of this purport talks about that a little. It says, when a person is fully engaged in the transcendental loving, I love that word, loving service of the Lord, he is pleased in, in himself. And thus he no longer engages in sense gratification or fruit of activities. Otherwise, we must be engaged in sense gratification since one cannot live without engagement. You know, uh, that that what you were reading just now reminds me of, I went, uh, Abhijit and I went, my husband, uh, went to India. Yeah. Last year, the year before, mm-hmm. can't remember. Last year, last Anyways, year. Anyways, um, but the, the I think it was the previous experience that we went, the previous time we went. And I remember when we came back, I don't know, if, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before. When I came back, my life was so different. It's like it hit me like at the big... Um, ton of bricks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It hit you like a ton of bricks? Nice. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> I thought that's what you were doing. Yeah, something, hand. something. <laughs> I was thinking like a wind in your face. I don't know. But basically, when we were in India our life was really simple. And of course you got to say, you can't live that way because we were just visiting. It was just vacation and life is different when you're Mm -hmm. just on vacation and all of that, right? You still have duties and you still have responsibilities, but everything was centered around Krishna, God, Mm. right? Everything we did, we woke up, we did our meditation. We would go to the temple. Mm -hmm. Even when we had a little time, like a little break from the day, we would just go on a walk around the temple and chant our our meditation and our beads, everything was focused on Krishna. And there was just honestly a lot less distraction. Mm -hmm. I remember the moment we arrived, I immediately, it's kind of like it hit you right back. There was a lot of people texting, oh, like, hey, do you want to go do this? Do you want to do that? All these things, right? And then also you were here and, and I mean, not to say we live far from the temple because we don't, but it was just like, we were not in the center of this like wonderful spiritual experience. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, wow, there's so much I could be doing right now that it's not connected. Yeah. yeah. Right? So many distractions. And so it, it was just an incredible and interesting thought process because 
it's true. Like when we are engaged in Krishna conscious activities, life is simple and like you're peaceful and joyful. And Mm -hmm. then like when we're not, there's just so much that kind of pulls our attention here and there. And it it actually is a bit overwhelming at times. So many distractions. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And um, that's such a good point that we have to try to really, okay, what is this distracting me off my path or is this helping me on my path? And the last line of the purport here, it touches upon a point that I think is important. It says, one who has no such realization or like realization of whatever, of our eternal position to Krishna, all the things we've been talking about. When one has no such realization, one must mechanically try to escape material desires before being elevated to the top rung of the yoga ladder. So that's kind of what they were saying earlier, that a person who's Krishna conscious is situated from the very beginning on the platform of meditation because we're always thinking of Krishna. We're automatically at the highest point of the ladder without having to go through step by step by step of the ladder because all those steps of the ladder are to try to prepare us Mm -hmm. for the ultimate bhakti yoga. Like, okay, dhyana yoga, meditation, we try to calm the mind, the senses, all the other breathing techniques, the asanas, everything is trying to prepare us. But... If you don't have that realization of what's the ultimate goal of this yoga ladder, it has it, it becomes a dry mechanical process of trying to escape our desires. So that's when we don't get automatically propelled to the top. So Krishna consciousness really is the shortcut or Shama who loves loopholes. It's the loophole to the it top is the of the loophole. ladder. Yeah. <laughs> I do love me a good loophole. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I think it's so true. And I also, this, there's this part that says a Krishna conscious person can do everything for the satisfaction of Krishna and thereby be perfectly detached from sense gratification. And I was trying to think about like practical examples of that. Like what are some things that we do for mm. the satisfaction of Krishna that kind of help us be more detached from our senses, you know? Right. The first one that came to mind, and then you can tell me your uh, Shamali, was like when we make food that mm. we're going to eat, right? <laughs> yeah. We first think let's offer it to Krishna, right? And then that kind of creates like a little bit of a, like a thinking process where you're not just like food, eat now, 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 yeah, now, yeah, yeah. right? Like it, it does help with the senses, right? The senses are going crazy. I'm hungry. and this is, But first you're like, kind of like being selfless yeah, and, right. and taking giving, a step back, yeah. right? And taking a step back. And I think that's, Krishna helps in that process, right? Because otherwise, like if if you're really hungry and you're like, you're supposed to wait for your partner to come, would you not steal a couple of bites? (laughs) (laughs) You know, but but, but Krishna being the person that we have to feed, it's a different thing. Like he actually helps us achieve the goal in an easier way. That makes sense. Right. I was actually going to say the exact same thing about (laughs) offering food before you eat it. And it serves a few purposes. I think you touched upon a super important one that is to get out of our own me, 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 my own senses, my own enjoyment. But I'm going to be, when I'm preparing the food, I'm going to be thinking, okay, I'm trying to make something nice for Krishna and all these different things. And also not to mention that, okay, I mean, in Bhakti Yoga, we promote a vegetarian diet because we want to inflict the least amount of suffering possible. But even when you eat uh, a vegetarian diet, it still takes resources and energy to make the food. So we're just trying to acknowledge also like, okay, thank you, my Lord, for all of this. I'm grateful, showing gratitude exactly for, you know, it still took resources and time and effort and the the plants' lives that that went into this. I know it's different than when you take an animal's life, but still it takes resources to whatever extent. So, um, and I was also going to say, maybe a lot of people listening to this might feel like what, what are even the ways you offer food? So maybe at some point, I don't, it doesn't have to be now we can go into that. But if you don't know it, just a very simple way, if you don't know any of the mantras, the in-depth mantras of how to offer food, you can just get in the habit of at the beginning when you're about to eat, thank you, my Lord, thank you, Krishna, for this food that you've provided for me. 
sincerely from my heart and just saying I made something this for from you. Me. Gratitude Please for enjoy you. this and right, that. right, yeah. Because there's more mantras we say, but if you're not aware of them yet, or it doesn't matter, it can be just something from your heart. Yeah, Krishna appreciates whatever words come from your heart. Yeah, gratitude prayer, gratitude prayer. Love it. Text, yes. text number five, Shamali. All right. One must deliver himself with the help of his mind and not degrade himself. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. Ooh, All right. Wow. This is a super Fun. important one because like we always say in bhakti and even in life, the mind can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's actually the next verse that but we'll, we'll, we'll get to this one first because okay, okay. I think that uh, this is like a, also a notion of like chapter two, but I love when Krishna talks about the mind, because yeah. this is so relevant to us and the rat race that we go through. And it says the mind is the friend of the condition child and his, his enemy as well. Meaning mm -hmm. that we can wake up in the morning and sometimes our mind says, Oh my God, I look like crap. I need to get ready. I need to do this. I'm probably going to fail today. What? <laughs> Sorry. You thought I was going to say something I said bad. <laughs> anyway, so you can either wake up and have all of these negative thoughts or you can wake up and be like, oh my God, I'm so excited to start today. Right. I have, mm. thank you, Krishna, for the talent and the ambition right. to like have the job that I have and whatnot. So there's so many different ways to control the mind and it yeah. can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, we live our lives in our mind. We perceive the world through our mind. Like Literally, our mind constructs the type of reality we experience, yes. you know? Because two people can be experiencing the same thing and they can be completely different out oh, yeah. outlooks yeah. on the situation, right? Yeah, and per perspective shifts are incredible because nothing in your actual physical situation might change except how you're seeing it, how you're perceiving Oof, it. Yeah. So it's literally all yeah. in the mind. You so. know that, that meme that's on Instagram of this guy that's on a bus and one of the window is looking towards the, 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 like the inside of the whatever... whatever Whatever he whatever he's driving towards, and the other guy is sitting outside and looking at the window of like the sunshine and whatnot. Oh, it's yeah, like literally yeah, the yeah, same yeah. like yeah, two yeah, people yeah. on a bus, but their perspectives are so different. Yes. You know what I mean? And so it's right. like good the good yeah. mind and the bad mind. Yeah, exactly. So it says it is stressed herein that the mind must be so trained that it can deliver the conditioned soul from the mire of nations, meaning. Mm. If we train our mind to think positive thoughts, to mm -hmm. think of Krishna, to like to understand that we're the soul, not the body. If we train our mind to remember these things all the time, then at the end of life, it can protect us and it can it says um, it will deliver the conditioned soul. So it'll deliver us from lack of knowledge. Yes. Mm. And it's a training though. It's <laughs> like a serious training. Cause I remember like I used to teach like meditation and stuff to people and per, like, I also talked about perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, say you get on a fender bender on the highway or whatnot, someone bumps you like your first reaction can be, Oh my God, I have, my insurance is going to go up. My parents are going to kill me. This is going to cost so much money. Yeah. Or your first reaction could be like, thank God nobody was hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh God, and yeah. it's mm -hmm. all about training our mind to find that positive space. Right, right. Totally agree. And in the beginning, it talks about how, okay, the word Atma could either mean body, mind, or soul, depending on what we're talking about. But in the yoga systems here, the mind and the conditioned soul, so the mind and ourselves, the soul, are super important since the mind is the central point of yoga practice. Here, Atma is talking about the mind. So I like how they break it down here. It says, in material existence, one is subject to the influence of the mind and the senses. And in fact, our pure soul, we've talked about this many times, is really entangled in the material world because the mind is involved with the false 
ego, which mm. desires to lord over the material nature. So that's that, an interesting one. That's a super interesting line that we're trapping ourselves because our mind, I, I want to read that line again, yeah, it's ahead, super go. important. The pure soul is entangled in the material world because the mind is involved with the false ego, which desires to lord it over material nature. So even when we think of little bickers and conflicts we might get, it's because someone hurt our ego. And with yes. our mind, we're yeah. attaching ourselves. I'm this I'm this body. How could they I say know that better. to me? Uh -huh. I yeah. know better. They were wrong. Yeah. Whatever. We, we paint all these narratives and it's because our mind is attaching itself to the false ego rather than... I can, with my intelligence, think, no, I'm I'm beyond this body. That's not even me. I'm a pure soul and I'm an eternal servant of the Lord. But that's not our default way of thinking. And it's so ingrained in us. <laughs> yeah. Like all it's of so us. It's so hard to think that way. <laughs> yeah. In this podcast, we might talk about this philosophy for hours on end, but it doesn't make us um uh how does holier it, than thou. Right. And it doesn't prevent us from getting a little ruffled in our feathers when someone might touch our button someone because, we love yeah you know? because it's a process and oh, yeah. we're all in the process together yeah we're all working our way to the ladder I think we all know somebody either in our family or friends that when they push a button we just agitate like it's, right, it's, right. it's <laughs> like we're humans right so I think if you're listening to this part of the podcast try to just become a peaceful observer of when do your buttons get pushed when do you get a little agitated and think is this really something valid to get agitated about or is it my ego kind of flaring up because yeah. my mind is identifying with the ego so yeah. i say something and you feel like meh they're yeah, wrong I, it's <laughs> even like the idea of being triggered yeah. Right? yeah so like for example someone says oh are you gonna eat that orange and if you're triggered by the idea that someone thinks that you might be eating too much mm -hmm. right too many oranges, girl. Too many oranges or whatever. <laughs> that would have been a context where cinnamon rolls makes more sense than yeah. you previously said. You're right. Okay, let's switch it to cinnamon rolls. So someone's like, oh, are you going to eat that cinnamon roll? That person's intention might have been like, oh, do you want to split it? Or like, oh, do you want this one? I don't right. want it. Or but whatever. they'll be like, are you calling me girl, fat? Are you exactly. saying I eat too many cinnamon rolls? And that's why. Because we let our minds think like, oh, they're, they're attacking they're me. They're attacking me. My character, I, who I yeah. am. You know, How all, dare they? Right? So our, we get ourselves into our ego and then we get all... <laughs> we rile ourselves up. You know <laughs> what? Oh my God, that's such a good way of saying it too. Yeah. I want to paint a scenario that like, or not paint a scenario, but something that came to my mind. Many times they say most marital problems, relationship problems, friendship problems, whatever it might be, is a miscommunication. Oof, yes. But, but the miscommunication stems from we're perceiving what they say differently than they're even meaning it because our mind identifies with the ego. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So really the Bhagavad Gita is tapping, hitting the nail on the head with most of the conflicts in interpersonal yes. relationships <laughs> are just because we identify yeah, too much with the ego. Yeah. That's real. So like Priya painted that uh, little scenario of like, we might misinterpret completely what they're saying because our mind is just having all these wild interpretations because yes. our ego's a little hurt and we're so attached to the ego. Mm -hmm. Our ego's really fragile. It Ooh, really, gross. really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, ego, I think in the Gita, they use it sometimes in a different context than maybe someone who's not in tune with bhakti philosophy mm -hmm. might use ego in a different way. But ego is like, is it, not our eternal true self. We're a it's, spirit soul. It's yeah. our idea of self in this material world. Yeah, it's a false right. identification. Right, like self. false identification. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, so that's why in the Gita we say false ego. It's right. not really uh, us. It's not really who you yep. are. It's the idea of who you think you are. And it also yeah. stems from like how we were raised, which comes back to karma, right? Like if you grow up in a way and you're thinking like your whole family is like your, uh, what you look like matters the most. Mm -hmm. How you present to the world matters. The way you, like, and someone 
puts all of this since you're like a child into your mind when you grow up and someone tells you you're not this body you're like (laughs) what do you mean what do you mean you know right so so even if you begin to accept it to actually apply it that's a whole other step right but so the 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 idea of the ego is like the 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 ideas we've created in our mind about who we are and what we believe right Mm -hmm. and sometimes when we read the Bhagavad Gita we can be like um, seeing something that we're uncomfortable with because it's like, oh, but that's not what I, you know? And it's just maybe just look at it, think about it, try it out in your life, see how it feels. How, how what's, it case what's study the, on the, yourself. Shamali, you always talk about reaction and stimuli or something uh, like that? Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. In this world is always, we have a, uh, we're responding to, oh my God, now I forgot. I now always say it. <laughs> uh, uh, you should increase the re- reaction time? The, spread the gap between the response to the stimuli. So this world uh, is full of stimuli uh, and we yes, just yes, immediately yes. respond. It's like spread the gap but between if we slow stimuli it down, yeah. and response. So right. Slow it down before you react to anything. Exactly. And that yeah. works also for conflict for communication for everything if we just take a beat to think um let me just absorb this information without getting into my ego exactly what i believe in the situation right so So this this really that line applies to so many things and that's why the mind needs to be trained so that we're not going to be triggered or attracted on the other end of the spectrum to all the glittery objects of the material nature and this way our conditioned soul can be finally saved and we shouldn't degrade ourselves by being just attracted to sense objects because and i like how they use that word degrade ourselves because we are actually in it's our birthright being a eternal spirit soul to be uh, connected to something even greater and eternal than these little shiny, cheap material objects. Yeah. So when our mind is absorbed in sense objects or things that make our senses enjoy, then we are tied to this world or we're in bondage, right? And when our mind is detached from these objects that are gratifying or making our senses all happy, like the cinnamon rolls and Mm -hmm. all of that, then we are in the path for liberation. Right. So right. we're trying to, we're trying to train our mind. Right? That's train an interesting thought with what you just read. The mind can be our cause of bondage. Depend, uh, depending on how we use it, the mind can bond us further or it can be the ultimate cause of liberation. You right. Know? So bondage meaning, again, like tie us back to this rat race of birth and death and birth and you, death. Moving, like using the cinnamon roll example, it's yeah. like you can either continue to eat all these cinnamon rolls and be like addicted to <laughs> to them. Yeah. Or right. you can use your intelligence and your mind to be like, okay, this is not good for me. Exactly. I'm going to stop. That's right. so, so good. So basically, mm. in other words, the mind absorbed in sense objects is the cause of bondage and yeah. the mind detached from sense objects is the cause of liberation. Good way to put it, Shema Sangeeta. I feel like that was really practical. Yep. Yeah. Beauty. <laughs> And the last line, just that, that when the mind, okay, it's hard to disengage the mind from the senses. So that's why when we engage in some, the higher taste, as we've talked about, when it's engaged in Krishna consciousness, that's when we can finally get truly liberated. Beautiful. All right. Nice. Text number six. This is one of my favorite verses. All, All right. right. Darshani. For him who has conquered the mind, mm. the mind is the best friend. But for one who has failed to do so, his mind will remain the greatest enemy. This is one of the most practical Ooh. verses for me in the entire Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. Yep. It's this it's this notion of like, if you know how to control that mind, then things will be great. If you know that like, if you get into a car accident and the first thing that you can do is control your mind and think <clears> of only the good things and only the practical things and only the optimistic things in that, then your mind is your best friend. But yeah. if in bad situations, 
situations, you cannot control the mind and you go into a spiral, an avalanche of negative emotions, your mind will forever remain your greatest enemy. Yeah. You know, back when I used to be a figure skater, my mom would talk to me about, I, I've mentioned many teachings from the Gita to be able to control the mind because I would be so nervous before competition. You know, you train for years and it all boils down to three minutes on the ice with a panel of judges seeing all of your moves. Wow. So my mom would talk to me also about the power of the mind and really like the mind is such a powerful tool. We don't even realize the extent mm -hmm. of that and how no matter all the years of training, you might be the most physically prepared, but if your mind isn't fully focused, you might bomb a performance that you otherwise could have done just because your mind turned yep. on you. Yep. Oh my God. I was watching, okay, this, I was watching this <laughs> show called Physical One Hand 100. It's, oh my God. Is it with all of the Koreans that yeah. are, that are, their bodies are so jacked and so they're so strong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I this love is, that show. <laughs> it's so good, right? And it's super interesting in the perspective of how the mind works because all of, there's a hundred very, very athletic hu human beings, there, right? They're gorgeous and they're so strong and their <laughs> muscles are huge. I just want to paint a picture if you have not watched they're the like show. They're like wrestlers, <laughs> yes. Olympic athletes, gymnasts. They're like all around dancers. They're mountain climbers. They're, their bodies mean, are impeccable. Every yeah. aspect of like physical activity that you can possibly be a part of. And so they're part of this thing and they're competing to see who's the strongest, the strongest person, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed is they all had different levels of strength, right? Like some of them might be more flexible mm -hmm. or better at climbing a rope or someone would be able to hold more weight, whatever it might yep. be. But at the end of the day, what it came down at the very end of every competition mm -hmm. was how they thought of the situation and Oof. how they controlled their mind. Because right. if they told themselves, oh no, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose. And you could see, like you, they would say it, I'm, you could hear them say, oh God, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose. And then whoop, they were done. They yes. were done. They couldn't do it anymore because our mind is actually stronger than anything right. else. Yes. If we believe, I just need one more. Right. Oh, I can just do this. Right. And, and getting your mind to be able to do that. Right. is controlling the mind and trying right. to make it your friend so that it works to help you rather than to disservice you. Right. Right. Yep. Right. So I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, as you were speaking, it was reminding me of different scenarios where, where I was also competing and how you were describing it. It's so true because, you know, the mind, when I would think there was one competition that I've mentioned once before that I felt like, well, I, I won that competition. It was the best performance I had ever done, I felt. And I felt it wasn't even myself skating anymore. It was something had taken over. But before the competition, I felt it had already happened. In my mind, I really felt it had already happened. And it's it's hard to describe the sensation. But then, yeah, it, it was really almost like a spiritual experience. When I came off, I felt like, wow, who just did that? And I, I scored higher than I had ever scorned before. And then later on, a few months later, there was a competition where I was super nervous and I just felt I didn't want it to happen, but I felt I was going to fall. I just, mm. anyway, and it, it did end up happening. You, you thought so, about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt nervous. It was a whole other feeling. And I was just as prepared for this other competition, but I blew it. Anyway, it was horrible. The <laughs> first competition that you mentioned made me think of uh, actually you were so, you did all the work and you were not attached to the results and right. therefore your results were fantastic. And yeah. that's like another principle that we always talk about. So that was really right, cool. Right, right. Yeah. There's this, there's this um, movie on Amazon Prime. I think it's called 13 Lives. And mm. I don't know if you guys have seen no, it, but no. it's this, um, this is based on a true story. So this Thai soccer team 
after practice, like there was like maybe like 13, uh, 12 boys and one coach. Right. And they, they went to play in the caves, but the monsoon came early that day and they literally got stuck in a really, 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 really deep cave where to, to the point where no one can grab, like no one can find them because they were so deep inside and the, the rain just flooded the cave. And so they found one dry spot, but what they did is they didn't have any food or water. And the only way that they can survive, I think, I think it was they were there for like maybe two weeks or less than two weeks, wow. something like that, like 10 days or something. Yeah, don't call me on that. But essentially <laughs> what they did was that their coach taught them how to meditate. They uh, had no food or water oh, wow. and they trained their mind every single day. And that is how they survived that time. Yeah, no food or water. And literally it was meditation that saved them. They literally used their, their, they turned their mind into their friend and that's how they survived. They could have easily been like, oh my God, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And then go to a, like a rabbit hole of yeah, terrible negative emotions. Right. But their coach trained them on the power of meditation, the yoga, and then they survived. You know, that's, that's so inter- fascinating. That's yeah. interesting. That made me think of Shama. Even if at this point you're not the most interested in, you know, who is God anyway? He seems so distant. Do I really even want to connect him? Even if you're at that point where you're having your doubts, meditate for the sole purpose that is going to enhance the quality of your life. Yes. Then when you raise to the next step of the ladder, then you'll see the road gets deeper and deeper. It's, it's literally true. steps. So yeah. meditation will totally help all aspects of your life. Yeah. I always ask like a lot of the students that I, I give talks to when I was like, what determines the quality of your life? The quality mm. of your life is determined by the quality of your thoughts. Right. Mm. If you can learn to control your mind through good times and bad times, that can 100% translate mm. to the quality of your life is exactly what you just said yeah yeah and i think also we have to be we have to be thoughtful of the different different types of people right for some of us it comes easier right mm-hmm. it comes easier to think positively to be optimistic to be and for some people mm-hmm. it doesn't and that's karma right mm-hmm. right like our karma to experience things in a certain we way get this body based on previous action and reaction right yep. so it might be hard for someone to listen to this and say well I'm dealing with so much in my mind. How can mm-hmm. I do this? Right. I mean, it's a process. It's a slow training, process. Yeah. And for some right. people it's harder than others. And that's okay. That's right. okay. Because as long as you're trying to put the effort of making the mind your friend and being able to control it so that you can move forward in Krishna consciousness, you're doing all the things. Right. And I think it's interesting how in the purport they say, as long as one's mind remains an unconquered enemy. So like you say, Priya, it is a process that we have to conquer the mind. Yes. But as long as it remains an unconquered enemy, we have to serve the dictations of lust, anger, uh, illusion, all of those things that we don't want to fall under. But when our mind is conquered, we voluntarily agree to abide by the dictation of the personality of Godhead, Krishna. who is su- situated within all of our hearts as Paramatma. And I like that they use the word voluntarily. Mm. This yeah. is something we want to do. It's our nature. As we had said before, Priya, you said, it's our nature to want to serve and to give back and be yeah. a part of something whole. It's no one's forcing you. That's the premise of love, a yeah. loving relationship with Krishna. You want to do that naturally when you conquer your mind. Right. Because if you don't conquer your mind, you might be thinking, well, first I have to get money and first I have to do this and first I have to do before I can even do any service for Krishna right, or right. I can spend all the time. I have to accomplish all these things before I can do any of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. But actually 
this is the path, right? Thinking of Krishna and doing devotional service is actually the happiness. The, the other the other way is your mind not being your friend, actually. Right, Because right. those things will not make you happy. Yeah. Right. Once and, we can quiet down the mind. You know, there was, a, there was a quote in my school. I work at a Catholic school. And on the wall, they said something like, silence is the language of God. Now, I think ooh. because when you can find... <laughs> nice. It's <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. The mind is talking to us 24-7. And when we, can, when we can finally conquer our mind, quiet it down, not be thrashed around by it, we voluntarily agree we want to be connected to the next step, to something higher. Yeah. And guys, Rome wasn't built in a day. This takes training, yes. training every single day of turning our mind into our friend. Right. right. So for one who takes Krishna consciousness, putting, so we make our mind our friend, right? But then for one who takes Krishna consciousness directly, uh, perfect surrender to the dictation of the Lord follows automatically. So, mm, right. Yeah. So once we're able to make our mind our friend and we turn to Krishna consciousness, we can finally surrender to Krishna and it feels natural and it feels good. Right. I Shemaline. love what you said, Priya, because it, it, it kind of encapsulates what's the what's the real yoga practice all about. And that entails meeting Paramatma within the heart and then following his dictation. And I love that it's a meeting, it's a union. And when you finally like hear, you can feel the presence of Krishna in your heart. It is like meeting a long lost friend for the first time in ages and feeling, oh, wow, he's been there the whole time. And it's a union, a great meeting. And then you want to follow him wherever he takes you. Oh, that's so beautiful, Shamali. I love that. All right. Oh, so. All right. And that wraps up our episode <laughs> for today. Next episode, we will be talking about chapter six, text number seven. Yes. yes. Text number seven. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs>Hello, beautiful souls. If you like what you're hearing, please follow us on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast. And if you love what you're hearing, please make sure to share a link to our podcast at Modern Yogi Podcast with all your friends, families, and long lost cousins. And if you have any questions at all, send us a DM on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you for listening to The, the Modern, Modern Yogi. Yogi.